Thank you for being here today to worship. I know we have several couples, uh, families who have who've traveled a number of miles today uh, in in these wintry roads. So thank you, each of you, for coming. Uh, may I encourage you to come next Christmas Eve night, uh, Saturday evening, six o'clock, for our Christmas Eve uh, candlelight service, and then Sunday morning. Uh, 9 a.m. are our Sunday morning services. Those are those two services are going to be exactly the same, and we encourage you to come to one of those services and celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus. The last couple of weeks, we have been looking at the Christ child through the eyes of several key people who are involved in the Christmas story. Uh, Two weeks ago, we saw him through the eyes of Mary and Joseph. And indeed, both of them had a lot to ponder in their minds as they considered this child that God had given to them. Uh, Several years ago, Max Lucado wrote a book entitled God Came Near. Maybe you uh, read that book uh, when when, when it came out. It had a chapter in the book entitled, 25 Questions for Mary. And some of those questions, as I read through them again this last week, are quite intriguing, Uh, such as, Mary, did you ever feel awkward teaching him how he created the world? When he saw a rainbow, did he ever mention a flood? Did the thought ever occur to you that the God to whom you were praying was asleep under your own roof? How about this? Did you ever try to count the stars with him and succeed? Did you ever catch him pensively looking at the flesh on his own arm while holding a clod of dirt? Did you ever accidentally call him father? Did you ever think, that's God eating my soup? (laughs) Yes, they, they had a lot to ponder in their minds and their hearts. He was indeed a very special child. Last week, Ian preached to you, taking a look at the Christ child through the eyes of the shepherds. The angels, you remember, came to the shepherds and they said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The shepherds then hurried to Bethlehem and they found the baby not in a palace as you would expect to find for a king, for a savior of the world, but instead they found him in a stable, wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. It was indeed a very humble beginning for such a special child. Today, I want us to look at the Christ child through the eyes of the wise men. And I'm going to ask Gage uh, Addington if he would come up And he's going to read a passage of Scripture to you from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you want to turn in your 
your Bibles to that passage and follow along with him and see this story about the wise men coming to Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is, where he, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod secretly called the Magi, then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from, the, from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child and Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Who were these Magi? Who were the wise men? They were learned men in fields of astrology and astronomy. They came from the east, the text says, which may have been as far away as Babylon. And I get the sense from Scripture that their journey was not an easy journey. It was not just an overnight uh, journey. It was not a hop, skip, and a jump for them to get to Bethlehem. I'm getting a sense from Scripture that this was a long, hard journey for them. The question uh, of when their arrival to see the child. Lots of folks have, have discussed this. Some think that it was a considerable amount of time after Jesus was born. I, I don't know that we can really say for sure whether it was right after his birth, whether it was even up to two years later after his birth. I don't know that it really matters. Uh, it doesn't change the significance of this story at all. The fact that wise men came from a distant land to see this newborn king, that is what is significant. And that leads me to my first point, which is the Messiah in the eyes of the wise men was worth seeking. Tradition tells us that there were three wise men who came to see Jesus. And I suppose that tradition is based on the fact that there were three gifts that were given to him. Please understand the idea that there were three wise men is tradition rather than something that we can substantiate in Scripture. Tradition also has these three wise men 
riding camels. If you have a nativity set in your home or maybe in your yard and the wise men are a part of that nativity set, probably you have camels as a part of that nativity set as well. Again, that is tradition rather than something that we can point to as scriptural fact. But tradition can be a good thing. I'm thinking about our Christmas tradition in our home, in our family, as, as our kids were growing up in the home. Every Christmas there came that point where we would, would get the nativity set out and we would take each of those pieces of the nativity set and we would place them on the piano and we would do that together as a family. And uh, there were a lot of pieces of that particular nativity set. And, and, I, and for each piece of the nativity set, we would sing a song together as a family. As the wise men were set out and the camels, we would sing, We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts we traverse so far. You know that song. That's the song that we sang. As the angel was set out, we would sing, Angels we have heard on high. And we had a donkey. We had a sheep. We had a cow. Some of you will be familiar with the old English carol, The Friendly Beast. It was sang by Peter, Paul, and Mary in 1988. How many of you remember Peter, Paul, and Mary? Yeah, lots of us older people do. Uh, I said the donkey shaggy and brown. You know that song? I carried his mother uphill and down. I carried her safely to Bethlehem town. I said the donkey shaggy and brown. And there there was a verse for the sheep. There was a verse for the cow. And the problem we had in our home with that particular song was Cindy was the only one who knew the words to the song. And we, the rest of us, just stumbled through, the, through that particular song. And then, of course, as we put the baby Jesus out, we would sing Away in a Manger. I remember one year, as it was time to put Jesus out in that nativity set, the kids began to argue over whose turn it was to put the baby Jesus out. And it turned into a full-scale argument between them. And after that, then, Cindy began to keep a running list from year to year of whose turn it was to put out the baby Jesus. What we were trying to do that particular year, it was totally just clouded over by the argument. Lots of traditions when it comes to Christmas time. And I, I bet many of you could could share from your family traditions that you have during the Christmas season. Traditions are good in many ways. It's important, though, that we understand what is tradition and what is in Scripture. Three wise men riding on camels to to Bethlehem, that is tradition. But wise men coming and seeking Jesus, that is scriptural truth. They followed a star, the text says. They saw a star in the east, and the star, from what I read in scripture, seems to be moving 
ahead of them, leading them to the place of the Christ child. Scholars have tried to figure this out. They've tried to to give explanation as to what this star was. And I've read several of those explanations and they seem to just be going right over my head. What, What I prefer to think is simply this was a miracle of God. That's the easiest explanation. This was a night of miracles. Think about it. A virgin birth. Jesus being born to a virgin. An angel choir singing to some shepherds. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of prophecies that have been given concerning the Christ. And and, and so many of them that center around his birth. They were fulfilled on this very night. It's not hard for me to add one more miracle to this story, and that is a star in the east leading the men to where the Christ child was. For sure, they sought him. You know what's amazing to me? At one point in the journey, we have these these men stopping and asking for directions. Think about that, ladies. How often does that happen? The problem with that was they asked the wrong person. They asked Herod the king for directions to where the newborn king was at. And and the scripture says that Herod became very stirred up. He became troubled. And, And it also says that all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. And I'm sure that was true. Herod was jealous to the nth degree. And when Herod got jealous, usually somebody died. Through the years, Herod had killed his wife. He had killed his mother. He had killed his three sons. All of them because he was afraid that they were going to take the throne away from him. Caesar, the emperor of Rome, was known to have said it was more safe to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. That's the kind of guy Herod was. Something else about Herod that just gives you some insight as to the kind of man he was. As he approached his death, he had a group of elite citizens of Jerusalem arrested and imprisoned. And he gave strict orders that the moment he died, that these people be killed. And that way he would be assured of at least some tears being shed at the point of his death. That's the kind of man that Herod was. He was insane. He was a ruthless killer. And there is no wonder that when the Scripture says, when Herod was disturbed, then all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him. The wise men sought to find Jesus. And they didn't give up until they found him. Could I say it this way? They were relentless in their pursuit of Jesus. They set their sights on finding the Savior and they wouldn't let anything distract them or detour them. A couple of passages of Scripture came to my mind as I was working on this. One of them, Psalms chapter 42, 
verse 1, it says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. How about this one? Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Could I encourage you to be one who seeks God earnestly in your heart? How much different our lives would be if we would have that kind of longing for God, to be intimate with Him. We need Him more than we need money. We need Him more than what we need more stuff. We need Him more than what we need anything that this world has to offer Think about it. Everything that the world has to offer, it is temporary and it does not satisfy. On the other hand, He is eternal and He is the one who satisfies. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. Before I move to my next point, let me just say it this way. Wise men still seek Jesus today. And I hope and pray that all of us here are seeking to know Him with our whole heart. And if you are one who doesn't know Him, we would love to help you with that. Wise men, from their perspective, The Messiah was worth seeking. Let me give to you a second point. The Messiah in the eyes of the wise men was worthy of worship. Verse 11, Gage read it earlier. It says, After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground, and they, what? They worshipped him. I read this in a commentary. It says, This act of worship is in contrast to the hostile attitudes of Herod and the indifferent attitudes of the religious leaders. It's almost mind-boggling to to think that these grown men who were wealthy and very well educated, and we today picture them as people of royalty. I I think probably they were. We're not sure of that, but I think they were. And when they walked in and they saw Jesus, it says they went to their knees, they fell to their knees, and they worshipped Him. And surely there's a lesson there for us to learn. He is worthy of our worship. And that ought to be something that we are doing both habitually and regularly. He is our Savior. You think, think about the different 
names given to him, even in the Christmas story, which point us towards worship. He is Savior. He is Christ the King. He is Lord, the angel said. He is Emmanuel. He is the light of revelation to the Gentiles. He is the Word of God who became flesh. He is worthy of our worship. He is the bread of life, John chapter 6. By the way, did you know that Bethlehem means house of bread? And so we have the bread of life being born in the house of bread. He is our living water. John said, John chapter 8. If we drink from him, we will never thirst again. He is the promised one whom the prophets spoke of and wrote about. He is the king of kings. He is the way and the truth and the life. He is worthy of our worship. Wise men still worship him today. There's a couple of things that come to my mind. One being, this is the first time for Gentiles to worship the Savior. Think about that. The first time for Gentiles to worship the Savior. These wise men are paving the way for for us today. That we are to worship Him. This, This is pretty good news for all of us. Simeon's words in Luke 2 were so true. He said, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. A second thing I see here. Jesus came for all people. He came for the rich and for the poor. Last week, as Ian was preaching, he's preaching about the shepherds as they left that hillside outside of Bethlehem and they went to find the baby Jesus. The shepherds probably were pretty poor people. And, and, and they were welcome to come and see the Savior. There was an, a heavenly invitation given to them to go and see the Savior. And here, on the other end of the spectrum, these wise men, I think they were pretty wealthy men, and they too were invited to come and see the Savior. Jesus came to save all people. Whether we're rich or poor, whether we're, we're uh, whatever our skin color might be, whatever our nationality might be, whatever our, our IQ might be, whatever our education might be, He came to save all people. And He's worthy of our worship. Could I encourage you to be a worshiper of Jesus? It takes a humbling of ourselves. Please note the wise men fell to their knees and worshiped him. True worship begins when we die to ourselves. They weren't worrying about what anyone else might be thinking about them as they went to their knees. They simply were were moved to worship the savior. 
We need to become better worshipers just to see Him for who He is and what He has done. And when we get a glimpse of Him in His glory, we should do exactly what the wise men did. We should fall before Him in adoration and worship. One final point for you. As we see the Christ child through the eyes of the wise men, the Messiah was deserving of gifts. They brought to him gold and frankincense and myrrh. I have a footnote in my Bible that says this about the gifts. These were gifts worthy of a king. The early church fathers understood the gold to be symbolic of Christ's deity, the frankincense of his purity, and the myrrh of his death, which was used for embalming. One thing we know for sure, the wise men did not come to him empty-handed. They came worshiping him, and they came bearing gifts for him. Have you thought about this? It was those three gifts that probably helped finance the family's trip to Egypt, which was soon to happen. And I I think there's a couple of things that we can learn from this. One, God is our provider. We need to trust Him. At this point in the story, Joseph and Mary didn't even know that they were going to need money to go to Egypt. They didn't know this trip was just around the corner for them due to Herod's rampage, which was about to happen. And yet God was providing for their trip before they even knew it was going to happen. He is a wonderful provider. And and we can learn from that. He will provide for us too if we trust Him. And here's another point. It's, It's simply appropriate to bring gifts to Jesus. This Christmas, as you give gifts to those that you love, remember to give a gift to the one whose birthday we're celebrating. It would be a very strange thing if, if any of us went to a birthday party and we gave gifts to everyone except to the honoree of the party. That, that wouldn't make sense. It's Jesus' birthday. That's what Christmas is all about. So it is very appropriate to give to Him a gift. I want to read to you a passage of Scripture that might suggest to you the very best gift that you could give to Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 3 to 5. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints, and this not as we had expected, but they first, what? Gave themselves. They first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. There's the best gift that you could give to the Savior this Christmas, is to give to Him 
yourself. And, and I think it's true. If we would give to Him ourself, then all the other gifts that we might want to give to Him would just kind of flow more naturally as we give to Him ourselves. The, the gift of money would come much easier for us if we first give to Him ourselves. The gift of our talents would, would come much easier for us if we first give to Him ourselves. The gift of our time, that gift would come much easier to give to Him if we first give to Him ourselves. He is deserving of us bringing gifts to Him. As I close today, could I ask you these questions? Like the wise men, will you seek Him? Will you humble yourself and worship Him? Will you bring gifts to Him? Starting with the gift of yourself. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for these wise men. I thank you that they have taught us about seeking you and worshiping you and bringing gifts to you. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be wise people still today following in their footsteps, following their example. Thank you that your arms are open to us, Father. Thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray.